Hi everyone, welcome to Psychedelic Science Conference. We are here to witness an historic event. We have, I think, 11,000 people, attendees, coming to learn more about psychedelic and their benefits and therapeutic use. We're here for the next three days intensely, speaking to many leaders in the space and bringing you so much more news and updates. So stay tuned. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Psychedelic Conversations. Today I have with me in person, have the privilege and the honor to have Belinda in person at the Psychedelic Science Conference. She is our returning guest and you all have probably seen her first episode with me online. So we'll link it into the show notes so you can catch the first conversation we had. And today I have the honor to be in your presence. Thank you. Thank you. Just to give you a context, if you're just first time joining us and you don't know about Belinda, Belinda is of Dine Navajo and Ashivi Pueblo of Sunni descent. I'm sorry if I'm not reading it. No, that's perfect. She is a wisdom carrier, healer, and the founder of Kalogi, focused on cultural and traditional teaching, inner healing, and an international speaker on various topics impacting Native American communities in the United States. I will add all of the rest of the bio in the show notes. You can um, connect with Belinda. Uh, I think you're a treasure for us all to appreciate what you stand for. Mm, thank you. And I love and followed you in this conference. You were really sort of involved and they appreciate what you have to say. Mm -hmm. So um, for our listeners, please tell us your background, what brings you to the medicine work and um, maybe we can take it from there. Well, um, the medicine work, it actually um, began with my own inner healing. <laughs> and um, I saw the um, healing in my own self and how I could share that with Native American communities and their healing process. Um, unfortunately, you know, one of the things in a psychedel psychedelic renaissance is that there's really not an opportunity for indigenous voices to be heard. And so I've kind of taken that torch up and, you know, really try to get their voice heard in the communities, whether it's through legislation, whether it's through education or bringing um, earth-based teaching wisdoms to medical students or even professionals like psych um, therapists and psychologists and psychiatrists. And so that's kind of what I, I, I'm involved with right now. And I'm also, since we last talked, I've had um, training in ketamine and my own ketamine experience as well and how that really helped me um, kind of go a little bit deeper, you know, in terms of my inner healing journey. And so, you know, working with um, practitioners to offer that to some of the Native American individuals who are, you know, voluntarily looking for healing. That's so wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. I am aware that you're also MDMA trained. Yes. Uh, you were in one of the, um, I think one of the trials or the, the trainings of yeah, well, people I was, of color. I yes, think. yes. And that was back in 2018. Wow. Yeah, that was the first time that they, um, MAPS had put together a people of color um, training course in Kentucky, and there were several. And so this conference is really nice because I've got gotten um, the opportunity to, to see a lot of my classmates and yeah. see what everybody's done, and it's really wonderful. Yeah. How do you feel about this cultural, you know, segregation and everything that's happening and the trauma that's been caused? Um, it, it's, it's interesting. It's normal for 
um, indigenous people to go through that, and we've kind of we've toughened up our skins. You know? mm. um, but one of the things that I think is really important, kind of as a person on the other side, is really try to be a, a bridge builder, really trying to, for example, cultural appropriation. You know, rather than focusing on that, how can we appreciate cultures? And what does that mean? And how do we do that as individual in this psychedelic space? And so I talk a lot about that. Um, one of the other things that I really think that is missing from this space is also the conversations around spirituality and how it fits into that healing process. In Western society, we're really taught to kind of exclude that piece of the equation as part of the healing process. But a lot of that is really coming from um, the way that we're, we're taught in Western you know, um, yeah. our education systems, we had, we're taught to segregate things. And when we segregate things like, you know, biology and psychology, we lose that sacredness in it. You know, they're not, they're not interwoven anymore. And so that's one of the things that I try to bring, bring forth in the conversations that I have. I love, I love what you stand for. So what are the topics that you were involved in? I know you had a storytelling event last night. Yeah. If you, if you feel sure, share a um, So the first day on Monday, I was involved with um, the chaplains, what are formerly known as chaplains, are the ones that work in hospitals. But there uh, is a new term, uh, they call them spiritual clinicians. And so we're really trying to get them to be aware of um, psychedelics and how they can be used in that type of setting. And my piece that I was bringing to it was what I just mentioned about spirituality and how that needs to be a part of the equation when we look at healing. Um, in my culture, they say that we have four bodies. We have first the spiritual body, we have the physical, the intellect, and the mental, emotional body, I'm sorry. And all of those four need to be in balance with each other. Yeah. So if one of them is out of kilter, then everything else um, falls apart, and that's how we end up with illnesses or diseases. So the whole idea from our cultural teachings is that everything needs to be in balance, and we use, and I think we talked about this last time, about the word hojon in my culture, where it's balance and harmony. Yeah. And balance and harmony doesn't mean that um, everything is beautiful all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, we have life mm-hmm. that we have to go through where there's ups and downs. And part of the, the lessons of life is when we're in those down moments, there's always a gift at the end of it. Mm-hmm. But we always have this kind of mindset that we always want the beautiful side of things, right? Yes, yeah. and always keep taking and taking, yes. receiving. Yes, and so that's that was Monday. Um, and then on Wednesday, I talked about um, what are the qualities that are needed for uh, psychedelic practitioners. Yes. And one of the things that I shared with the audience was that in indigenous culture, at least in my culture, um, follow me back up a little bit, when you use late English um, as a way to communicate with your clients or your patients, um, English is a very noun-based language, and so when you use nouns a lot, you actually um, objectify things. So when we have an individual that comes in with a mental illness like bipolar, we label them. And in indigenous cultures, they're more verb-based, and so we meet the person where they're at, and it's a it's a cyclical thing, and it's really meeting them where they're at. And so um, that's kind of what I shared with them, and then I went to kind of the whole piece about what what is really the term, what is um, professional mean? Professional usually means that you take some kind of oath. You know, when a doctor goes in and he gets his medical degree, he has to sign an oath. 
And I went through the listing of that oath, and one of the things that I did not see on there was do not cause harm. But when you look at social work and you look at other kinds of professional careers, that's what they have on there, like number one. Yeah. And we're dealing with some very um, powerful medicines. Yeah. And so I thought that was kind of interesting that that piece was missing. And so, you know, just kind of elaborating on those types of qualities that a professional needs. And then, of course, last night I had a um, storytelling. And the story was really talking about my healing experiences with um, ayahuasca mm -hmm. and my more recent experience with ketamine mm -hmm. um, that took me on a journey to Spain. So I just returned from that trip about two weeks, two or three weeks ago. Okay. Um, and it was really dealing and confronting the whole issue around colonialism. Right. And actually making a visit to the Chapel of Granada where King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella Holmes remains right. are entombed there and um, really trying to just go deep and, and heal that wound that's touched so many indigenous people's lives, including my family. Yeah. And so, um, so today I'm kind of on break and then tomorrow I've got my last um, day. How can session? Yeah. That's so wonderful. Um, and you leading the space and opening as you're talking and bringing this to, to space to us, mm -hmm. uh, we're becoming more aware and connected mm -hmm. to your story and connected that, you know, working on these lands, mm -hmm. you know, just realizing that it's not just ours. Mm -hmm. There's a whole ancestral lineage and the buried bones of mm -hmm. incredible people and just just acknowledging that and, and knowing that, I mean, the energy in this town is incredible, right? Mm -hmm. Alone, I can't even imagine Sedona, Arizona, or mm -hmm. all the places that you know you navigate. Alone, this energy is just off the charts mm -hmm. here, and coming together, lots of people, people of color, people of all walks of life. And yes, we have differences, we have limitations, but ultimately, essence-wise, we want the good, right? Yeah. And um, in your communities. Are you connected and are you leading sort of workshops, people that can come in and share spaces and talk about these yeah. things that we share? Yeah, I think one of the more recent um, conferences that I was involved was about two months ago, and that was with um, Dr. Um, Gabor Mate. Um, and that was up in Minnesota with the Ashinaabe people. And um, the community kind of wanted to get together and talk about intergenerational trauma. So you had young people there, you had, you know, adults, you had some of the elders there. And uh, it was really an eye-opener for them, I think. But it was for, for many of them, it was um, making connections with themselves yes. and really understanding the implications of history that we encounter. Yeah. Not only us in this present moment, but our ancestors yes. and the impacts that they have on that. And I think... Um, one of the things that was really um, powerful when Gabor Mate really spoke to some of the issues that exist in our community, for instance, I think about some of the younger people where we have high rates of ADHD and not realizing that a lot of the source of ADHD could be um, impact that the mother had, you know, when they were carrying their children yeah. and the implications that go along with that. And so, and then there was also some cultural pieces that were mixed in with that. So I'm um, you know, involved with that, you know, and then, you know, one of the things that I've been so busy involving trying to educate others outside of my community um, that are really fi finding that um, 
in a much near near future, I'm going to pull back a little bit and really try to get back involved in my own communities and Native American communities because one of the things that I see missing is that um, our Native communities don't really understand what psychedelics are about. And so um, to help them understand that because there's a lot of missed opportunities. Yeah. Um, just recently, the state of Oregon passed at psilocybin, the use of psilocybin. And um, as part of their legislation, they had um, a seat that was an advisory seat for indigenous person. Yeah. And I asked the question, um, was, a, you know, was there outreach to the Native American community to see if they wanted to be involved in that? And they said, yes, and it was their version of it was it was one person that was asked. Right. And so now we're in Colorado here at this uh, MAPS conference, the science conference, and they just recently passed their, their rules around that. And so my hope is because I'm also doing work with Naropa University as their program advisor um, for their psychedelic um, assisted therapy certification program. So I'm trying to be a little bit more involved and in trying to be that, that, that bridge builder between the Western science piece and to Native American communities so they can un start understand the value of some of these medicines. And, you know, they may choose or may, they may not choose to, to um, partake in that process, um, but th the door needs to be open to them. And so that's one of the things that I'm going to be focusing on. And so part of that is also um, building a, a symposium that would be there be a one-day or two-day symposium to really um, give access to either First Nations people in Canada, but also Native American people in this country. And they're here in the United States, there's 574 tribes. In Canada, there's 630 um, wow. groups, um, individual groups. And so it impacts a lot of us and a lot of our communities. Absolutely. Yeah. And you're in the heart of it yeah. and doing the work. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. I think I mentioned this in our last conversation. Um, the way I found you, I was just Googling um, MAPS, MDMA uh, trials, and then your talk came up. Mm. It was one of the most moving talks mm. I had to listen about your cultural understanding and the implications and what happened mm -hmm. in, the, in the history. Um, I think this is so incredible times to be able to have this conversation here and and uh, I really feel that and I really want to support and, and bring more of these conversations because I come from an indigenous background, mm -hmm. of course, mm -hmm. living and growing up in the UK, similar uh, experiences. Um, but it's almost like the psychedelic medicine is cultivating us in a way that bringing us all together. It doesn't matter mm -hmm. where we're from, what land, what walks of life, what spirit. Mm -hmm. And... It's in the heart, of, like you're in the heart of this, and I really want to appreciate you again. And my question would be, um, those people who are work, working with, because again, in my community, we're having these conversations about, we shouldn't be serving medicine in a circle where, let's say there are um, participants of, of color, mm -hmm. because the medicine then brings up different things, different material for them, and, and they find it very difficult to be in those spaces, yeah. so I think we need to bring not to not to um, not to segregate them. It's not about that. It's about having that sensitivity, mm -hmm. maybe more trauma informed sensitivity to r the acknowledgement of like yes, the medicine is so coherent in delivery. Therefore, 
when we sit together in a circle, we must be all educated that we will all have different materials coming up from each other. What What are your thoughts on that? I would totally agree with you, a hundred percent. I find that in spaces that I where I do where we work with medicine, that usually when you have a mixed community of individuals, there are different things that start to rise up and. And um, it might not be issues that are in the moment. They may be issues that are historically, mm-hmm. and, and those things will come up, and that's just part of this process. And to really honor um, that space, and primarily the work that I do is in with BIPOC communities, um, Native American communities, because that's my community. And uh, more recently with the use of ketamine and kind of the space that I do, I work with in the way that I work with that is I do it more in a ceremonial context Mm -hmm. because that is the way that our people are. You know, we have ceremony about the way that we prepare the space. And, you know, in our cultures, they say that when we speak of ceremony, it might have been a month ago, but that's when the ceremony begins. And so your your preparation to the actual time that you receive the medicine um, is your preparation for that. That and moment. so it's, yeah, it's that moment. So it's really behooves you to take the time to really humble yourself. What are your true intentions? A lot of times when we go into these psychedelic spaces, we, we tell them the day or the day of that they're going to, or the hour of that they're going to take the medicine, have an intention. When you really think about intentions, intention should be really a long lasting piece because when you go through the experience and you do the integration, that should be the longer piece that you're working towards, right? Yeah, um, and it's like a, a very much the, the, the inception of the idea of wanting to become, you know, participate in a ceremony. I've heard this as well before. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's when the medicine starts actually working with mm-hmm. you. It activates it in some level energetically. Yeah, and I think more so with some of the more um, the plant medicines. Mm-hmm. Um, they call them plant, you know, plant-based earth mm-hmm. medicines because they're rooted in the earth. And I find like with ayahuasca and some of these other plant medicines, when you partake in that medicine, it always feels like there's a, a guardian or protector with you traveling through your experience, right? With ketamine, it's not like that. It's synthetically made. Um, I refer to, the, to ketamine as the catalyst right. because when you take it, it just keeps moving. And you don't have that ability to, be, to stand back and witness what's happening in front of you. You know, they, the, the reliving the trauma, it just keeps moving with you. Wow. And the other thing is, I don't, for me, at least my own personal experiences, I didn't feel that presence of like a grandmother or somebody that was there walking with me. Yeah. And so when I got started, the fear started to settle in, I couldn't, I had just myself to rely on. How Which did could that be, make you feel? It, at, at one point, to be honest with you, and I shared this in my, my story, um, it was frightening. And at one point, I thought I was going crazy. Right. Um, because at one point, you know, I shared in my story last night that um, at one point I, I literally thought I was going crazy. And then my mental mind started trying to rationalize that. Like, what am I going to tell my parents? You know, and then I kind of paused for a minute. And then I said, what the hell? You know, I'm just <laughs> going to go with it. I'm going to surrender to whatever it has to show me and just go with it. And uh, what it what it ended up showing me was it took me to a place that was in Spain, um, and the, which was the reason why I, I turned 60 this year, and um, it was part of my healing journey. I ended up um, floating at the top of a roof of a cathedral just looking down, and I remember 
because uh, I took an art history class, an architect class, when I was going to grad school or uh, undergraduate, and I could remember all the images that were in that building. And so after about a month later, I was integrating from my academy experience, and I started going on the internet and looking through the photos and stuff, and I found it. And what it was was the, um, the chapel of Granada, and it was where King Ferdinand of Aragon II was, um, as well as Queen Isabella, and they were the ones that were part of the Inquisition. They were instigators as well of, of the Doctrine of Discovery, which shattered many of our communities, and to really make peace with that. And I'll tell you that sitting in front of this tomb um, was a very powerful experience for me, and to really make peace to help heal not only my generation, but my ancestors' generations. That was very moving, you know, and when I, as I was walking to this chapel, I called in all of the indigenous elders and indigenous um, ancestors from all over the globe, and I said, if you want to come and sit with them, this is your opportunity. Because I'm here in the physical form, and this is how powerful these medicines can be to really heal, heal that wound within us, right? And um, to sit before them and to be a part of that healing process was just phenomenal. And there's, there's so much more of that, that story that can go on, but that's the gist of it. But when we really look at that, it's, a, it's an opportunity for us to really heal a, a lot of those wounds that we carry of our ancestors, no matter where we come from. Because at the end of the day, we were all colonized. Yes. Right. Yeah. We all carry the indigenous yeah. spirit inside of us. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Welcome. It's such a learning process, this, um, using these medicines. It really, one of the things that I've learned as I start to get older is it helps us to um, unlearn things that we've learned yeah. and relearn new things Yeah, and be open to that. And I really am mindful of the things that I choose to engage in yes. versus those things that will be a waste of my time yeah. and the benefits that it offers me, but also my community. And I think that's the way we should all look at things. I think so. Yeah. I agree with you. A, and then you become the powerful medicine, <clears throat> walking medicine yourself. And then mm -hmm. you touch. I mean, even in your presence, I always felt that. Mm -hmm. uh, online, I felt that as well. I think there is um, something very powerful happens to us when we unlock that thing mm -hmm. that is so infectious, people feel it. Mm -hmm. You start speaking and it comes, there's always this energy behind it. It's so coherent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, one of the things I also, um, you know, in this psychedelic space, because there's this integration between the indigenous parts and then also the modern science and... Um, I was thinking about this the other day is like how do we merge these together so that we become partners rather than be uh, being adversaries to one another and there was um there's a model called the um causal layered analysis and it really looks at these different layers and how if you look at indigenous communities they're based on values they're based on um different types of ways of thinking whereas if you look at the western kind of mindset it's really about data and what are the problems. <clears throat> and so we just deal in Western yeah. mind, so we just deal with the surface stuff, right? And in the bottom level, we look at those things that are going to be sustainable 
Yeah. And and to me, that's the the gift that we can we can have if we work together. We look at something that's more long term and that's foundational. That's going to benefit all of our communities. You know, and I think one of the other things is really bringing community back. Yeah, always about the community. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, somebody in our circle of podcast guests because said community is integration yeah he said community is the integration once you have your community you don't need to worry about integration checklists and i really love that yeah i think that's that that is so true yeah you know and in speaking of integrations i think that um some of these medicines you can have a short duration of integration for something like ketamine it has to be longer because the the processes that you go through it might take months one or two, three unpack months, and, uh, unpack yeah. and, and then start processing that. And if we're only doing uh, integration the week after we do a session with them, yeah. that's not going to help them, you know. And so we need to be mindful as practitioners to, to keep that in mind as we work with people. Yeah, thank you for speaking to that. It always comes back to the long-term devotion and commitment to this process. You know, one of the things I also wanted to share while I, I have it on my mind is that over the last two or three years, um, as I've been going out and speaking to medical students in the conferences like this, I always get one or two um, psychologists or psychiatrists or even therapists come up to me, and they'll you know have a client that um, has taken too much medicine, and it's totally like blown them out. You know, their soul in our culture, we talk about soul wounding where their soul gets fragmented. Right. And um, a lot of times those professional people don't know how to help them. Mm-hmm. And so they're asking me, how do we help them, you know? And so we need to think about these medicines in the way that we work with them. They're all energy. And if we're uncomfortable having those kinds of conversations about energy and how that works, um, this is probably not the medicine for you to be working with. Best advice I ever had yeah. right now. Ten. See, everybody talks about, yeah, psychedelic medicines are not for everyone. But what does it look like, practical mm-hmm. terms? This is exactly what you said. Mm-hmm. If you're uncomfortable going places and talking and having these conversations around energy or connecting with the body mm-hmm. and listening and all, all those things, that, you know, it's almost like we've trained not to go there. Mm-hmm. The whole lifestyle and the... Um, but the way we, are, we live our lives is just kind of programmed to not go there. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's part of the, the formal education that a lot yeah. of medical and professional people um, inherit. I mean, I, I was trained that way, too, but I went back to my traditional teachings, which is completely opposite of that. And rediscover it. Rediscover it. You really experience it and really honor it, you know, in that way. So do you think... Uh, just one last question. So do you think, um, actually I have two, but okay. I don't mind. One, uh, the, the other one is, so you said to bring back this medicine to your people, mm-hmm. like your, your you know, tribe and your communities. Is it because they already had this medicine in the past, they lost contact? Or how does it work? Well, you know, I was just listening to an elder just uh, a few minutes ago before I came on this podcast. And one of the things that he was sharing, if you think about the the boundaries that have been created in different countries and maybe yours um the whole united states that used to be all of north america uh-huh. there was trade between you know central america southern america to what we know as the united states and canada and 
as indigenous people, we, we traded with each other. Right. So the medicines have been existence in a lot of our communities before colonialism. And right. so a lot of when colonialism happened and Christianity came into a lot of our communities, that was the first thing that they severed uh, right. from that. And uh, I know on my father's people, there were other medicines that they used that were not talked about, you know, things like Datura, you know. And because those were very sacred medicines and only certain individuals within the community were allowed to use it. And um, it's interesting because I'm hearing more of those kinds of things where people are starting to explore those again. And um, it's also a medicine that's very powerful. If you take too much, you can, you know, it's very toxic. Right. And so you need to know what you're doing. And so I think that's the other part of this conversation is um, you know, really understanding the, the potency of these medicines. Absolutely. Again, if it all comes down to apprenticeship, I love yeah. the word apprenticeship, being an apprentice to the, to the mentor that knows how to work with these medicines so mm-hmm. you can learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we need to bring that back as well. It's yeah. not like textbook learning. This is, this no. is, this is not this that. Is, no. Something else. You know, I, I was sharing with um, a group on that professional practitioner um, panel that I was on is that in our cultures, there's a formal way of being um, initiated into these medicine societies or medicine groups. And you might spend a lifetime learning a certain type of practice. And it's not that you can go down to Peru and, you know, spend a month down there and do a divide and then come back and put up your little sign saying you're a shaman, you know. Um, That's not the way that it works. No. Because there's so much that you need to understand that yeah. supports that medicine. Yeah. 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 The field experience of being an apprentice, mm-hmm. I think, is so valuable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I followed Caroline Miss for a while, like mm-hmm. when in the beginning of my first spiritual finding, trying to find a direction. Mm-hmm. And she's very abrasive, as you know. And she said, one lecture just still left a mark on me. She said, she says, you know, back in the day, you weren't even allowed to ask the question, who am I, mm-hmm. till you go through years of apprenticeship under a, uh, let's say she was from Catholic background, under a nun, like a seasoned nun, mm-hmm. you would have to shadow and follow her around till you, you're, you're ready. You're not allowed to ask this question now. It's like everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's more superficial, more like Instagram version of mm-hmm. like spirituality. Right, right. And I always, it, it stuck with me, left mark, and I really see the value of it now, mm-hmm. especially when things get mainstream too quickly, too soon. And I think you bring up a very important point that religion is different from spirituality. They're not one and the same thing. Mm. You know, the way, the way that I look at religion, it's organized religion. It's someone, it's man-made law that tells you the way to live your life. Yeah. Whereas spirituality is something, it's your walk in your daily life. Way, yeah, yeah, and the way that you exist and carry yourself. There's a big difference. Massive distinction between the two. Yeah. Okay, my last question. Yes. Katamin, you said with ayahuasca, it's, it almost feels like there is someone guiding, protecting. Mm. So with Katamin, would you say that if we still approach, by the way, I call everything medicine. Mm-hmm. MDMA is a medicine. Yeah. LSD for me is a medicine. I have an older son and he's like, mom, you must be the only person calling LSD medicine. It doesn't matter because it's about the ritual. So I was going to ask you before I say that, um, 
would you say that if, if we change the way we approach it, mm-hmm. if we bring more ritual to it, more respect, it, it could still deliver yeah. exactly what you need? Yeah. It's, you know, it goes back to what I was making with regards to the point around energy. Mm-hmm. We can, when you think about physics and its fundamentals, we can't create energy. Mm-hmm. Energy can transform. So we can transform water into something that's solid and ice, you know, and that is the way energy moves. That's just the way of natural order of things. And so um, when your intentions and when you take the medicine, the manner in which you show reverence of it, or even the way that you harvest it uh-huh. from the earth and you make sure that you give something back, you know, that's oh. part of that sacred reciprocity piece. In Western culture, where we, we think about cradle to grave when we create something, we're a very um, wasteful society. And what we really need to come back to is cradle to cradle. So we use, and in many of our indigenous cultures, we use everything. And what we don't use, we give back to the earth so that it can rejuvenate and recreate more. And, you know, if we come from that type of mindset, I don't think there would be a big issue with regards to commodification of a lot of these medicines. You know, we worry, in my my, my culture, we worry a lot about the, the existence of peyote in the future. Um, you know, so everybody shifts and they're going down to Ibogay. I start to worry about that too, you know. So what is going to be left for our children and our grandchildren? We need to be thinking ahead, not just about our own needs in this moment, you know. And so it goes back to a lot of those types of teachings. I love that. And I love your way of, like, offering. You told me a story about um, something very uh, precious that you you said when you were training for, I think it was the MDMA, um, you took everyone out to, to the nature and, and offering. That was like the most profound story, which is so simple. Mm-hmm. We don't often think about, yeah. right? And tell us about that and before we close. Sure. Um, so this is the, the MAPS MDMA People of Color training in Kentucky. And we had, uh, we were probably about middle of the week of our training and things started to disconnect. It was, you know, there was not the synergy anymore. And one of the things that happened, um, I asked the question, has anybody ever done ceremony to honor these medicines? You know, the sassafras is where MBMA's its original source was from. And they said no. And so I, you know, we all took a break in the middle of the week and I went out and we met a dear brother that took us out into the forest and we, we, we harvested. I went to go into the forest and look for the medicine and a couple of my classmates, there was a East Indian um, lady, and there was a um, Japanese-American that came with us, and there were two other people that came with us. And I wanted them to be there for the purpose of being a witness, you know, so that they could see what it was that I did. And I said, no filming, no taking pictures. So we went out into the forest and um, harvested a little branch. But before I did that, I offered a prayer. And I also apologized to the plant that They've been using MDMA, misusing MDMA for a long time. You hear about Molly and you hear about its reference to as a, as a drug. That's not honoring the medicine. And so I apologize on behalf of society that we're, 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 we're really wanting to use this medicine in a way that really heals people, heals humanity. And um, came back and I brought a little leaf and a branch and uh, put it in the middle of the room. And all of the people 
that were there offered something into that altar. So something that started out as a small little altar in the middle of the room, by the time we got done with the training, was like filling up the whole floor of the room. And everybody offered from their culture um, a different piece to that altar. And that is the way we should all be doing things. I love that. Yeah. Such a powerful story. And I like how you saw everything was disintegrating and disconnecting and suddenly we need to bring this back with prayer and ritual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can. I, I can sense when there's chaos and misalignment and everything. I love that. So that's the way. And when you do that, it makes it easier for the person to go through their journey. Yeah. With a better outcome. Not a good outcome. They might, they might still have to do some work, but still. It, it helps, you know, the process. Yeah. It's creating that space and yeah. that container. I, yeah. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Oh, you're so welcome. All the wisdom. My God. Thank it's you, like, Susan. These conversations are so psychedelic. It's like, you don't need medicine. No, you don't. <laughs> um, before we let you go, please tell us your upcoming projects. Um, sure. Offerings for our listeners that would love to connect with you. Well, one of my um, projects that I'll be working on probably the next month or two is putting together a um, symposium or consortium for um, Native American people to really help them understand what psychedelics are about. Um, I will still continue to do work and make offerings to Native American people um, to do their own healing. And that's just, you know, I work with a a therapist and I want to be able to, right now in the Phoenix area, but I want to be able to offer that in in other communities. Um, Look for a practitioner that is able to do the scribing for ketamine but also train individuals within those communities um, to be a resource for the bigger collective in their area. Um, so that's something I'm working on. I'm also working on my book, finally. Congratulations. That's a lot of uh, work and finding time to just write. And part of the story that I shared last night at the MAPS storytelling event is one of the chapters that I will be writing in my book. And this book is really about all of my um, spiritual and healing experiences I was. Um, at the age of 12 years old. Wow. Yes, so look forward to that. We look forward to that. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I love having you back all the time. I, I'm sure I'll be stalking you and <laughs> asking you to come back, whatever. <laughs> That's right. So I'll be, yeah, messaging you and following you and um, look forward to what comes up. Yes, and I, I, you know, look forward to having conversations around this and the more that we can all understand it, it doesn't matter what continent we are on. We all have trauma and we all need to walk in this way because we're all connected. Yeah, so beautiful. And when I return to UK, hopefully in divine timing, we'll host you in the UK. Yeah, that would be wonderful. That would be wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Mm, Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you everyone for joining us. Hope you guys enjoy this. Please do get in touch with Belinda. We'll have all the contacts and the links and then don't forget to share in the comments. Don't be shy. I'll see you guys on the next one. Bye for now.